Leading up to the 2024 election, I am devoting a series of episodes of the Glenn Beck podcast to conversations with presidential candidates. My job is not to help or hurt any candidate. There is no agenda except to ask honest, fair and vital questions. We need candidates to be crystal clear about who they are and what they stand for. America has a very tough decision to make. These are essential conversations that you won't hear on a debate stage. In 2018, Ron DeSantis was elected governor of Florida by the skin of his teeth. And for vulnerable politicians entering some of the most powerful positions in the country, this was not one of the best times to be assuming office. COVID-19 arrived, and it proved to be one of the biggest tests of American liberty that we have ever faced, at least in my lifetime. Many people in public office failed that test. This man did not. After the pandemic dust cloud dissipated, Governor DeSantis all but destroyed the Democratic Party in Florida. He was reelected with over 59% of the vote. That's the largest gubernatorial margin victory in the history of Florida, or at least for the last 40 years. Ron DeSantis, his track record is clear. His results delivered. But will that translate to the federal level? The next Republican president has not just have to have the ability to fight with not only Democrats, but also some Republicans and a weaponized government that has been unleashed on ordinary citizens as well as the former president. They need to have the ability to effectively operate in that arena but also have the charisma to unite America behind them if it can be done. Can DeSantis do that? You will decide. Now, welcome Governor Ron DeSantis. All right, before we get to the uh, podcast, uh, sometimes it seems like there's a running battle between cyber criminals and the government to see who could steal the most from people. Usually, I mean... You know, they're out. They're outgunned. The cyber criminals, the government usually wins all of the time, but the competition is fierce. Take home title theft, for, uh, for instance, one of the fastest growing crimes in America right now. And there's a very good reason for that. It turns out the most most victims of home title theft don't even know they're a victim until it's way too late and the criminals already gone. This happens over and over and over in America. And it's not hard to do. I don't, I don't want to tell you how to do it because, I mean, you might be a criminal. How do I know? All they have to do is just get a copy of your title, sign it over to them, and their house is yours. And then they take out a giant loan because they have the title free and clear. And they take out a giant loan in your name. And then you're stuck with it. And they repossess the house. And you really lose. Home title lock. It helps you protect against home title fraud. HomeTitleLock.com. Go there now. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code BECK and save. Governor, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Very good. So um, it seems to me the Republican Party always likes to fight the fight they can win. I think it's more important to fight the fight that needs to be fought and let the chips fall where they may. Where are you? 
No, I agree. I mean, I think you, you, you run, Republicans have run saying they're going to do all these things for so many years. Never do it. And then what ends up happening, uh, They not only do they not do it, they don't even actually try because they say we can't do it. Right. And our, our voters, and you know, look, I'm one of these people watching this, like, uh, we understand, like, if you fight the fight, you don't always win. But man, we want to see a fight. And yeah. we want to see that. And the results, I think, I think it's typically just failure theater. And that's what we become accustomed to. And that's not the way you do. I tell you, I mean, just our experience in Florida, when you do what you say you're going to do and you deliver, man, people come out for you like gangbusters. Right? I mean, it is. And it's not just like pay, playing the like one faction of the party. I got 97% of registered Republicans that vote for me in my reelection as governor, which was a record. I mean, that's uh, almost unheard of that you would do that. People appreciate if you're willing to fight for them. And if you show you're willing to fight for them, not only do they come out and vote for you, they'll trust you on other issues mm -hmm. as they come down the pike because they know you got their best interests at heart. So let's say you're president of the United States and we're at a budget impasse like we are once again. First, talk to Congress. They don't have, let's just say they don't, they have a Democratic Senate. Talk to Congress and talk to them about government shutdown, what they should be doing, why it's important. Well, we hear a lot of talk about government shutdown, but what I would tell them is what you have done with the debt and the borrowing and the spending, you've shut down the American dream for millions of people in this country. You wanna know why gas and, and groceries and home prices and all this, why has that ballooned to where people that are doing everything right, these are people that are working hard, trying to raise their families, the American dream has slipped away from them. That is happening because of what business as usual in Washington has brought to them. So if you wanna continue on the status quo, you are saying that you are committed to shutting down opportunity and continuing to shut down the American dream for people. So we have to do a different way. We just cannot possibly go in this direction. And I think people realize that what's happened in Washington is now the, is the cause of all the problems that they've had. So the people that are defending the status quo, mm. they're the ones that have caused the problem. Wouldn't mm. you want to change when you see all the, all the trouble you've put so many people through, uh, how, how people are now struggling more than they have probably in my whole adult lifetime uh, just to do the necessities of life? JFK changed uh, it was a different kind of president. It was a new generation coming in um, after a bunch of people that were World War II era. Um, and a new generation came in and he did something after the election that I think is part of the Camelot myth. And that is we're going there. We're going to the moon and we're going to return men back from the moon and we're going to do it in a decade. Except for Ronald Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I haven't seen anyone say, here's the big idea. Let's completely think differently. What's your big idea? 
a country that's no longer on the decline, but is on the ascent again. And we've seen what that looks like in the past. We've also been through times where people said you couldn't do well. People had to just accept that we're going to be in decline, like in the 1970s. Ronald Reagan said, no, that is not acceptable. We are going to do better. I think we're in a similar malaise now. People are being told that this is the best you can do. Heck, Biden's basic program is telling people be happy uh, that your standard of living is going down. Uh, we don't have to accept that. I mean, we can reverse that decline. Uh, and so I try to think of like, what would what does America look like in 2033 when the new the new president takes over after eight years? Um, you will have, you know, sh- strong, enforceable borders. That crisis will be over and the Mexican drug cartels will be in tatters. You will have middle income families that when they're working hard, they will get ahead uh, in the United States of America again. You will have woke ideology and the dustbin of history where it belongs. You'll have a military that is focusing on mission first uh, and that is deterring threats from people in countries like China, which are on the course now to ending up in a war with China, that they will win and that will affect every American's life. And then we will have a government uh, that is run by we the people, not a fourth branch of government that imposes its will on us. We will bring the administrative state to heal. One of the things that the Democrats have used um, quite well is global warming um i mean you know i can see a thermometer but uh i uh, i all of the ideas on how to solve things just seems ridiculous we're gutting our own country by doing this but the idea again is big no more fossil fuels no more we're gonna have new you know futuristic electric cars wow tell me tell me why that's dangerous or misguided. Well, think about it. Energy is why we've brought people out of poverty more than any single thing, because you can have capital, you can have all the things we have. If we didn't have reliable and abundant energy, uh, you would have many, many hundreds of millions, maybe billions more people that would be in poverty. The best way to lift up people out of poverty who are in and other parts of the world is reliable energy. We have an abundance of that here. Uh, I was just in Midland, Texas. We did our energy rollout. Uh, Our mantra is we want the United States to be energy dominant. Why would we want that? Well, it's good for consumers. Americans can go and get gas for $2 instead of $4. And I think it's going to go a lot higher than four, unfortunately. Uh, Businesses, will thrive. It affects everything we buy in terms of the prices. So it gives people relief, jobs, industrial base, national security, though. This is the one thing that we have that would give us an advantage over China, Russia, Iran, Venezuela, you name it. This is the closest thing to a silver bullet that we have. And here's what I would say about the the carbon emission issue. Florida, we've seen a massive reduction in carbon emissions. Did we do green mandates? No, we didn't do any of that. Well, how did that happen? You had retrofitting from coal to natural gas for a lot of power generation. Natural gas is a lot cleaner, massive reduction. We're talking about shooting ourselves in the foot, basically, talking about even having like these massive semi uh, trucks have to be electric, like from the port of California, they're going to have to charge 12 hours and they go 300 miles. Really? Are we going to go down that road? It will be very disruptive to the economy. Uh, But but here's the thing. Biden wants to force you in an EV. Uh, I don't think that that should be done. We're going to save the American automobile. But where do you get the stuff to do the EVs? Right now, it's from China. They're mining all the things that that go into that that are critical. So, And and that's for the foreseeable future. For the foreseeable future. So Biden's knowingly do that. 
now, I don't believe in, in EV mandates. But if you believe that, why would you not want to produce that here? We actually have reserves here. And he takes it off market. He doesn't let people go Correct. do it. So he's intentionally making us more dependent on China. He's intentionally helping Iran, Russia, and these other countries. Uh, this could be uh, the thing that really tilts the national security posture in our favor. Our, our mantra yesterday when we did the speech in Midland was, I want Midland over Moscow. I want the Marcellus over the Mullahs. And I want Bakken over Beijing. If we fall down on all the, uh, and go in that direction, we're going to be a more secure country. And um, final, final thought, because this is the developing world, you cannot consign them to poverty for, for uh, what? Never ending poverty. So they need energy. So how are they going to get that? Most likely is going to be coal. Uh, and so if you were to take the natural gas we have in the Marcellus shale and you export that all around the world, we have enough gas there. It, we, we, could, we would never need energy again for 100 generations. I mean, there is so much there. You would be able to pull these people out of poverty and the global emissions would actually go down Correct. as a result of doing that. They don't want to do that. In fact, they fought us in Florida when we've gone from coal to gas. The environmentalists say you just can't do it at all. And they also oppose nuclear. So if you want no emissions, wouldn't you want nuclear? No, no, no. They don't want to do that. So windmills and solar and all that, I'm fine if people want to do that. I wouldn't subsidize it. But I tell you, when we have a hurricane come through Florida and I need to get the lights on, I can't rely on windmills. I need oil and gas. Um, let's talk about nuclear for just a second. We now can make safe, small nuclear plants. Um, but we just will not go down that road. We could make hydrogen at night when instead of turning the power down on the plant, it can run 24 hours a day. You'd have all the supply of hydrogen also purely clean. Any chance that that ever happens if you're a president? I think no, I think I think I think they, so we're going to clear the pathway for nuclear. There's a lot of problems that government throws in the way of nuclear. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to clear that. But I think the fact that there's resistance from the from the global warming people shows they're operating in, in religion. This is this is their fighting Correct. faith. Now, it's not necessarily something where they're going to be willing to kind of just see the light. They, they they're committed to this and they're going to do it. So, yes, we're, we're going to pursue that. I think it would be good. I do think it I think it would be it's not as economical now because of the the cost and the time horizon we can help with that um, i do think that uh natural gas you know may be more economical all things considered but we'll see but they should have the opportunity to compete well the government has made it so if you have a coal fire plant you're not going to be able to afford to do a coal fire plant so they're asking you to not only take it offline but dismantle it and then they will give you subsidies once you've dismantled it for a hundred, I think it's a hundred and ten or a hundred and fifty percent of what you were going to make. But they're, oh, by the way, they're telling you you need an electric car. Yes. And so they're taking off the reliability off the electric grid. So when you go to plug into your electric car, uh, you're not going to have the power correct. necessary to be and able to we do don't, it. Do, do we even have the infrastructure, the power lines? Not right now. For, for, for EV, if you did all these EVs, no way you would know. We're going to do, we're going to increase grid reliability. We're going to do some stuff when I get in. But not, right now, you wouldn't. I mean, Gavin Newsom in California, they, they announced all new cars by a certain date relatively soon must be electric in the state of California. Then two days later, they said, all EV owners, don't plug in your EV because we don't have I enough know. power to get the job done. Yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 they will produce 
massive crises in this country. When you start, I mean, we I but learned this. I learned this with the with the hurricane stuff because like we had Hurricane Ian hit, hit Cat Five, major storm. You know, it, it it did a lot of destruction. But even in a situation like that, in a big area like Southwest Florida, the vast majority of people didn't lose their home, didn't necessarily suffer significant damage, where they couldn't get back in their homes. Obviously, didn't suffer personal damage, which is great. So if you're without power for a month, then all of a sudden everything just starts going to hell. You get the power back on quickly, which we had the quickest restoration. Sure. All of a sudden everything else uh, goes smoother. You can help the people in need the most and all that. So just imagine blackouts, these rolling blackouts to just be part of American life. It would cause major, major problems. Maybe that's what they want, but it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> Maybe that's what they want. All right. Um, I got up this morning and I was beside myself because I saw that the president told the Border Patrol to go down and cut the razor wire at Eagle Pass. There were, I think it was four or seven thousand um, Venezuelans on the other side of the river and 14,000 behind them. Honestly, I, I said to Ken Paxton, our attorney general, just today. When is Texas going to behave like Texas? When are these states going to say enough is enough? What is that point and what should we be doing? Well, I can tell you when I'm president, we've already said we are going to unleash the states. They're going to be equal partners with enforcing immigration law. If someone comes across the river illegally into Texas, Texas should be able to send them back. Why do we need to end up in this big process where people are going to court and all this other stuff? It's absurd. So they should be able to do it. I think that the reality is, is that if they if they did more, they would absolutely face DOJ and all this other stuff. Now, I still still think they should do it. Don't get me wrong. But we'll be an administration that's going to work hand in hand with the states to be able to secure our country. They're a force multiplier for the federal government. People say it's the sole federal responsibility. Yeah, a state can't do something like if, if we have strong border policy, it can't, a state can't let people in illegally, of course. But if we have a policy uh, and it's not being enforced fully, why should the states not uh, do it? They should absolutely be able to enforce the law. And we'll make that happen. Just the first two years of the Biden administration, just the first two years, he has allowed in a population that is bigger than 15 of our United States. Three states combined in one case, um, and that's not counting what's coming in this year. Just uh, this last month, it came in. Uh, the official numbers aren't in, but it's projected to be 230,000 people coming across our border. We're averaging 9,000 per day averaging. I know it's more than that on some days. H how much before? I mean, New York, man, I could punch those people in the face. <laughs> They're now saying we can't survive. Try being Texas uh -huh. or Arizona or even New Mexico. Um how long before we have irreparable harm done where you have population in your country that is as big as a big state and they're not part of your culture. 
Well, when I when I get in, they're all going back. I mean, that's the easiest. How are you going to do that? Well, you know, they, they've been given court dates. They have paper. So you now have these people. Biden is registering these people. A lot of them are registering with the federal government before they cross the border, saying, hey, I'm coming illegally. I'm going to go on this app and fill out. It's insane. So we'll use that uh, to do, because I think it's important that, that that's done. You can't, you, I want a wall. I want all that. But if you aren't going to have a sanction for coming illegally, then you're going to continue to deal with this problem one way or another. So so that will be a sanction you know, that we're going to enforce. It hasn't been enforced uh, really for many, many decades, probably right. all the way back to Eisenhower, right. to where we really had it had it strong. So we're going to do that. You have to establish that. We'll work with Texas. We'll work with Arizona, whoever wants to help us to be able to get that job done. But it is already done incalculable damage. If you think about, because we did the illegals to Martha's Vineyard um, last year. And, um, you know, the Martha's Vineyard, they actually had uh, an office in their downtown that was purported to be a refugee welcome center saying nobody's illegal, I was welcome. Now, they had never actually used it, so <laughs> these 50 show up, and they, they, they freak out, they call in the National Guard, they deport them off the island, um, all this other stuff, and, and it was just like, you know, uh, he was like, you gotta be kidding me um, with this. So just with that, you know, they said in the, one of the wealthiest enclaves, off season, they had a lot of housing, they had all of that there. But the thing was, was, People thought, oh, it's going to hurt him in re-election because he's got the Venezuelan Americans down in South Florida. They're going to be mad at him. Well, guess what? I go down. Next time I was in South Florida, I got guys coming up to me, high-fiving me like, we're Venezuelan. Thanks for doing it. Because uh, they're concerned about Maduro emptying prisons uh, and sending people to the border. And I think other countries um, in, in Latin and South America are doing it. So you end up having people, we don't know who they are. There's Russians coming in across the border. There's Iranians coming across. There's Chinese coming across. I look at it and say, is there any way possible that we don't have a terrorist attack in the future that can be linked to somebody across the board. No, it, not a chance. Of course it's going to happen. Of course it so is. So it's already been incalculable. We'll do a big um, a big repatriation and then stop the insane policies. Like, yeah, we'll do the wall, but you shouldn't even entertain these claims where you're giving them a court date three years. Just have them wait on the other side of the border. That's, that's what we got to do. You remember back in the day when you could do all the normal things you wanted to do in a day without feeling like you were entirely made out of broken glass. Uh, I'm back to that place. I had so much pain in my hands that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't write and hold a pencil for long. I, I couldn't paint anymore. It's gotten so good for me now that I actually um, am learning to play the piano, which I would have never been able to do. Of course, I may not be able to do that even now, but it's Lisa's only cause because I have fat fingers and I'm not very coordinated, <laughs> but at least I'm not in pain. Please try Relief Factor. It got me out of pain. Maybe it'll do the same for you. Uh, three week quick start trial. You just try this for three weeks. If it's not working for you, probably not going to, but you'll be out 1999 or 1995. But if it works for you like it did for me, you get your life back. It's relieffactor.com, 800, the number four, relief. What's the most destructive thing? What's your day one you put in an executive? I'm not a fan of executive orders, but day one you put in an executive order or you take them off the table. What's the one you say first thing? 
Well, it'll be, we'll do, uh, we'll do a lot in the first day, but uh, we will do uh, declare the border a national emergency. That'll unlock resources for us. We'll do the mobilization of the military and that'll happen. Uh, and that plan will be implemented on day one. We'll also do things and we're going to take all of Biden's EOs, particularly on the economy, throw those in the trash can so we can get America moving again. And there'll be a whole host of a, we're going to nix CBDC on day one, central bank digital currency, not going to happen under my watch. So there'll be a bunch of things. But I think that border, um, that's a core attribute of sovereignty. You're either a country or you're not. And we've got to get that one right. So that'll be, you know, 1230 or whenever you're done giving the speech, you're going to have to sign that one in. So there are, um, there's lots of things. I mean, this is core tenant. Let me ask you some. Can a man become a woman? No. <laughs> How ridiculous that we're even asking that question. And, you know, sometimes people will knock me because they'll say that he's talking about woke and you shouldn't worry about like, like who, people say, who cares about it? Right. Look, society needs to be grounded in truth. And if you're telling me a man can get pregnant and you're telling me a man can become a woman, that is not true. Uh, and I'm not going to accept that as true. And I'm not going to be complicit in a lie. And if our society is built on a mountain of lies, uh, even on those issues, which maybe some people don't care as much about, uh, how are you going to have a situation where you're going to have uh, get things right? So being rooted in truth, the truth will set you free is very, very important. And we've gone off the rails. I think it gives us an opportunity, though, to start bringing people into the fold on our side who are like, you know what? Uh, I may have been a D or I may have been an independent, but this is insane. Like we can't have, they don't want their kids going to kindergarten, being told that they can switch genders. Now in Florida, that's not allowed, but in other parts of the country that is happening. People don't want that. And I think in Florida, what we showed with, with, with our big reelection, um, you know, I was running around the state saying this state is where woke goes to die. And, and we ended up winning places like Miami Dade by double digits, which had been a blue area because, you know, I think particularly blue collar people, uh, they want the mass to end yeah I, I i i can't put my arms around for instance on this kind of stuff if i would have said those things a man can get pregnant well, can a man get pregnant no no so uh if you would have said those things five years ago the left would have laughed at you yeah and now five years later with no new information <laughs> no new science nothing there's still i just read a story yesterday in the paper that the uh, the Stonehenge was built by uh, black skinned uh, humans, you know, 10,000 years ago or whenever it was. I, I, I don't know how you know what color their skin was, but they said they based that on a skeleton of a male. And my first thought was, how do you know that was a male? How do you know that was a male? I mean, well, look, I mean, I mean, I think the thing is, too, is like, you know, you may have somebody who's virtue signaling on social media about that, but you will have the CDC will put out guidance for pregnant people. Uh, they are doing that. This is this is supposedly the top medical uh, agency in the United States, uh, and they can't even acknowledge that women are the ones that get pregnant, and it's not pregnant people, but they will use that. So we live in an upside-down world right now. So help me out on, on this, because, I, I mean, you know, I, 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 I have my own briefing every day, and I'm watching things uh, all over the world. And every day that goes by, especially this last week, has been extraordinarily difficult. Um, I see things 
that most people aren't paying attention to. Like, for instance, I don't know if anybody's heard the story that yesterday in Virginia, do you remember that family that came over from Germany in 2013 because they wanted to teach their kids about God in their homeschool and Germany said oh, no? Yeah. They moved here. They've been fine. They're good, solid citizens, everything. Biden administration yesterday notified them that they have to go back to Germany. And I thought, with everything that is going on in the world, okay, you're, the whole thing is on fire. And yet you have enough people and enough money and enough foresight to say, yeah, but you remember those people from Germany? Let's put the screws to them. They, it's not just what they, we know they're doing. Yep. They are laying traps and booby traps everywhere, everywhere. How do you possibly root that out? Well, you can't seed every institution in American life to the left. And I think what the right has done is we'll try to win like a policy victory. And I'm not saying those aren't important, but ultimately that's superficial. And so, and you know, and I try to think like layers deep. People complain sometimes about liberal professors. Yeah, of course, but that liberal professor didn't just get there. Uh, there's layers to that, going all the way back to how universities are accredited. Oh, yeah. So in Florida, what we've done is is we're fighting on all the at the institutional level. We've we've gone after the Biden administration on the accreditation cartel. We're going to change that when I get in to say, you know what, you can be accredited without having DEI. You can be accredited without having gender studies. Fact. We're only going to credit you uh, if you if you're a classical uh, university the the way you're supposed to be. We've put people on the board of trustees at our university. I have a, a, a liberal arts college called New College in Sarasota. Mm-hmm. Horrible disaster when you got there. Well, it was like left of the left, almost like a Marxist commune. Right. And some of the people in the legislature had wanted to shut it down. And I'm like, that's fine with me. They didn't have the votes. So I'm like, all right, we got to do something about it. So we put on a bunch of conservative trustees, including Christopher Rufo from the Manhattan mm-hmm. Institute. They came in, fired the president, hired a conservative president, eliminated CRT, gender ideology, abolished the gender studies department and said, we are going to change the mission of this university. The mission is we're going to be the top liberal, publicly funded liberal arts college dedicated to classical curriculum like a Hillsdale College in Michigan. So what's happened is some of the professors have left. Many other professors have wanted to come. The media will sometimes say, oh, there's a brain drain going on because they'll profile some professors leaving. And I'm like, wait a minute. If a professor of Marxist studies is leaving Florida, is don't that a let, drain? Or yeah, is that don't let the door hit you. I think, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. So we're doing that. So we're, we're changing that uh, at the institutional level. And here's the thing. I have parents across the country that want to send their kids now because there's a hunger for institutions that haven't been corrupted by so ideology. Why doesn't the Republican Party nationally get this stuff? Because you have to you will face blowback when you do it. I mean, you know how many like nasty, you, you know how many nasty grams I get in like the New York Times just oh. on the new, new college alone? Now, I don't care. I've got big I don't even read this stuff. But a lot of them, you know, they don't want to be hit uh, by the media. And so the media but effectively exercise 
exercises a veto over them doing what they what they what, what should be done. I don't let that happen. I mean, we go full steam ahead. I view the blowback as positive feedback, meaning I must be over the target. Otherwise, they'd be ignoring me. But that's the thing. When you have these fights. So when we eliminated critical race theory, why haven't more Republicans stepped up to do it? Because what is the left going to do when you go after CRT? They are going to call you a, a racist. racist, right? They don't like to be called that. And what I said is, you know what? I have the confidence to be able to let people know what I actually did, let them know what we're uh, trying to fight against, and let the chips fall where they may. And you know what? People sided with me. Same thing with the Disney fight uh, over the gender ideology. You know, you have the, the, the transgenderism in first, second grade. I mean, it's insane. But people in the Republican Party are like, well, we don't we don't mess around with business. You know, it's kind of like a chamber of commerce view as to like mm -hmm. corporations can just do whatever they want. Really, they're allowed to mobilize subsidies that they've inherited from Florida against our parents and our policies. Not on my watch. We're going to fight back. But, you know, that demonstrate that that, that that creates friction. So I think a lot of times it's just the path of least resistance. If you get into office as a Republican, you cut a few taxes, you know, you, you, you may pare back some regulations, you know, maybe do one or other two things. You can kind of do that. And, and maybe you don't face the fire. If you start getting in at the institutional level where the left sees that they're losing control, they fight back and they fight back hard and you just got to have the spine to stand there do what's right take the fire uh, and keep on going forward and that, that's what we've done in Florida and it goes so deep I mean I think we all know the education's been a problem medical profession the corruption of the of the medical profession we had to fight all these people to ban the surgeries the gender surgeries for the minors there was no evidence that this was appropriate. European countries like Sweden had, had reversed course and they said, no, we'd bring in people like Chloe Cole who went through it and yeah. now she got sterilized and she says it's this massive regret and it was wrong and yet they just plow forward with ideology. Uh, and so that's the things that, that you gotta fight. I mean, I think though that people have seen the elites and all these institutions fail us so many times, deceive us, that there's no trust in any in any of these institutions. I mean, what it's percentage of Americans, you know, trust the the, the CDC? Probably not very many. I, I did an interview on ABC uh, yesterday, and um, you know, the interviewer was, was hitting me on kind of, uh, are, are the, we're the only state that have said, we don't recommend you take the booster, this new mm -hmm. Biden booster for, for the under 65, um, because, not enough data, no evidence of benefit, and obviously unclear about harm, right? And we're the only state willing to do that because they attack you for it. And I said, and I and I said, look, they haven't proven this is a benefit. And she said, well, CDC says it's a benefit. And I'm like, what about CDC's track record these last few years? Are we really just going to cite them as an authority at this point? No, you'd be better off doing the opposite, given how wrong they were about lockdowns, masks, school closures, all these other things. So. It, the fight that we deal with the left is not just about whatever may happen in Congress or state legislature. Those are important fights, you know, the taxes, all this stuff. But but it is at an institutional level. And as leftist ideology overtakes institutions in our society, those institutions corrode and society starts to decay. That's why San Francisco is like a city that, that is a post-war almost. I mean, I went there a couple of months ago and you hear the stories and I would talk about this, you know, in the campaign trail, but you actually see somebody defecating on the sidewalk. You see the drug use happening. You see people get mugged and nothing happens. That's going on. And who would have thought that would have been acceptable in America even five or 10 years ago? The problem that um, people might have with you coming from a governorship, running against a guy who's already seen the deep state, 
um, you're coming in. You don't have in Florida the problem with the NSA, CIA, and five eyes and everything else that are all pretty much in lockstep. We know now that the CIA actually bribed, I think it's six of their experts out of seven, bribed them to say, no, this didn't come from Wuhan. This didn't come from the lab. No, I'm- Six out of the seven said it was lab. One said it was natural. The CIA, for some reason, bribed them. You, you have, I mean, you know, I'm reading this book about JFK and the assassination. And, and it, it's not making the connection to the assassination, but it is talking about how tough he was coming in on the military industrial complex, uh, the way we were fighting the Cold War. He disagreed with it and he told everybody. And, um, you know, he didn't, he didn't fare well. <laughs> Well, listen, um, what I'd say is a couple things. I mean, you know, we've staked out positions. I mean, for example, the uh, former president said the jury's still out on Christopher Ray as FBI director. For me, it's not still out. He's gone on day one. That's a guarantee. Uh, we will have a new director of the FBI. We will also use our authorities uh, to hold people accountable, particularly in the national security sphere. I mean, I'm not a, I don't uh, concede that the president can't fire people in the civil service. I, I think you can. I think you got to be smart about how you do it. It, uh, but certainly in the national security realm, everyone acknowledges there's broad authority there. You've got to be willing to take action. You've got to have people that are going to go in there um, who are not going to be co-opted uh, by what's going on. And that is really, you got to be smart all that, but you just got to have that backbone because you know if you go in there, the buzzsaw is coming after you. Uh, the media is going to come after you. The bureaucracy is going to come after you. All but here's it. the thing. Do we govern ourselves or not? And if we govern ourselves then we can't take it anymore. Uh, we've got to change the way things are going. We can't have a fourth branch of government uh, that acts really regardless of the outcome of elections. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we're either going to step up and do the job um, or we're not going to do the job. You know, I've been active duty military. I've dealt with all these agencies on the ground level. Uh, I was a U.S. congressman, was the uh, National Security Subcommittee chairman. I did oversight over them. So I've got a good idea, you know, of kind of what we're, what we're walking into. And we will have uh, a good plan on day one because you can't wait. You got to be ready day one. All your people got to be lined up. All the executive orders you're going to do, everything's got to be ready to go and you do have you done that so we have um i would say we probably have probably about half of what we would do in terms of broad executive orders we're going to do more as the years go on of course and then we are going to be doing the personnel not just like who your attorney generals that's obviously important but you need two or three levels down in all these areas we're going to do that and then we're going to be rolling out our uh kind of way to uh slay the administrative state i've talked about it a little bit but we're going to put it out um and do an event where we kind of list all the different levers that are available for you to push. There are levers. Now, look, they're going to fight back. They're going to sue you. It's not like everyone's just going to lay down. But there are a lot of levers that Republican presidents have not been willing to push uh, because I think a lot of them come in thinking that they can win these people over uh, or hope that they can (laughs) win these people over. And you can't. You just got to understand they have accumulated power. They're not going to give it back willingly. And what's happening in terms of the weaponization of this federal power, the founding fathers would have predicted this. When you have power accumulate without constitutional accountability, human nature being what it is, they are going to abuse their power. That's just the reality. So we've got to bring the constitutional accountability back.
Back in a minute with the man who would like to be the next president of the United States. There's nothing worse than having odors in your home that just won't go away. And I have teenagers and it doesn't go away until I think they go away. Thankfully, you can get rid of any bad smell. The teenagers, uh, fish, anything that you've been cooking. It's the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier. It is. It will actually get rid of the teenager smells. It will. Um, it's an amazing thing that you just plug into the wall. It, it whether it's odor from cooking, cigarette smoke, litter boxes, trash cans, mildew. It doesn't matter. The thunderstorm knocks it out, and it starts working right away. And it clears a room of smells, and you don't even have a filter to replace. Eden Pure has sold over 350 thunderstorm units so far. They have thousands of five-star reviews online. So if you get the real deal, the thunderstorm, this week they're running a special, an amazing special. You're not going to want to miss. Right now you can save $200 on three thunderstorms for the whole home protection. That's three units for under $200. Just go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com, and enter the discount code GLEN. So um, I was in the Oval Office with George H. Uh, no, sorry, with George W. Bush, 2004. And he was trying to make me feel better about things, you know, if we got a radical in the office. And he said, Glenn, you don't have to worry about it. Whoever sits in this chair, is going to get the same advice that I got. And they will quickly realize they really don't have any other choice but to continue. And I left there thinking that didn't help. That, <laughs> that wasn't good. No, but I think that you as the executive, you've got to know that what you're getting is likely not the whole picture. So, for example, uh, I was a big agitator in Congress for the moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. President Trump promised to do it. He initially punted. Then, to his credit, he did it. But after he punted, I did an event over in Israel, drum up support. But I met with all the state and CIA at the American embassy then in Tel Aviv. And I went down the, around the table. If we move the embassy to Jerusalem, what will happen? World War They all said it would be World War Three. They said it would be the biggest thing. Ever. So they were all 100% wrong um, about that. Think about COVID. You know, Dr. Fauci, uh, Francis Collins, all this cabal that was in there were all saying the same thing. You got to go to Bhattacharya from Stanford. You got to go to Martin Caldor from Harvard, mm -hmm. Scott Atlas, all that. So you have to know, and I think what I've done as governor in these different things is, you know, I don't accept just the accepted narrative. I probe, I question the assumptions, mm -hmm. and I seek uh, other counsel outside people who may just be spouting the company line. Sometimes I think, uh, these folks, I think just the group think takes hold is part of it for sure. Um, they don't want to say that actually you could move the embassy because of the re reaction Correct. they would get. Um, uh, Donald Trump said um, in an interview with Meet the Press, he said Florida's six week abortion ban was a terrible mistake. Protecting unborn babies that have detectable heartbeats is not terrible. Uh, it's noble. It's just. And it should be something that anyone says that they're pro-life would embrace. I don't see how you could claim to have been at one time pro-life 
and then turn around and say that it's terrible that a state would enact protections for life. And we did, I think, what most people were hoping states would do uh, once Dobbs uh, came down. So it's something that, that I'm proud that we did. It was the right thing. It was based on science and data and evidence uh, in terms of in terms of that detectable heartbeat. And there's a bunch of other states that, that did similar. And, and I think that they, they stood up and, and stood for life as well. So what you can't do is, especially on fundamental issues, you can't say that, um, you know, the question, should uh, an unborn that has a detectable heartbeat, should they be protected or not? Or can it just be flushed away? And it doesn't matter if 80% of the people think it should be protected or only 20% of the people think it could be protected. It's not a poll question. It's a fundamental question about your values, about what you think. I think this country is based on the idea that we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, starting with the right to life. So when I have that in front of me, uh, that decision is, of course, it's something that's willing that, that, that you should protect. It's not terrible uh, to be able to save lives. No compromise. Well, here's the thing. It's one thing to say that there are um, strategic judgments that can be Correct. made about how to advance the cause. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. In fact, I've welcomed people to have thoughtful ways. If I, you know, Texas is going to be different than California. How do you advance the cause of life in California? You may have to have a little, you have to trim your yes. sails to try to make some progress. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But that's something different than saying once a state has already enacted protections to, to uh, castigate that as being something that's terrible. And here's the thing, the, the damage that he did with that um, is more than just this campaign. There's going to be potentially on the ballot in Florida a, a referendum for a constitutional amendment to to basically have abortion on demand. The left is pursuing it. And if that passes, that means a legislature can never do anything to protect to protect life. Do you think they're going to run ads to Republicans and, 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 and independents showing Trump to Trump voters saying Trump didn't like this vote the other way for us? Of course, they are. They're going to weaponize what he said to try to defeat the cause of life. And so it was it was a really hurtful thing. It was really harmful. And I remember watching his March for Life speech when he went. I thought it was an excellent speech. He spoke, you know, look, he was on a teleprompter, whatever, but he spoke. The words he spoke were talking about the dignity of every every life. I mean, look, we're better as a society when everybody counts. And, uh, and, and there, there's a long road necessarily to, to realize that in, in, to, in the totality. But when states are taking positive steps in that direction, thank them, give them kudos, welcome that, uh, don't denigrate it. He said that he would negotiate a deal and that we would have basically a national law, whatever that deal was. Isn't that what Dobbs said shouldn't be done? Well, not only not only that, I mean, what, what he's basically saying by saying you're going to make the Democrats happy. Understand, this is a political party that will not say whether a baby that is one day away from being born should have legal protection. They will not commit to that. You ask every major Democrat, Kamala Harris, Newsom, they, they him and haw. They mm -hmm. won't say that. So saying that you're going to make them happy, uh, if they're happy, then it's something that's going to be really, really bad. And I think what he was what he was referring to in his mind is. Is, you know, he would set some type of outer limit that the Democrats would have to agree to, but then any protections within that would be wiped away uh, from uh, from the states. And so, right. if Iowa has protections for heartbeat, that would be eviscerated in favor of this federal, uh, which would mean you'd be losing more ground mm -hmm. than you would be than you would be gaining. So um, that's not something that's going to work. And here's the thing. Um, 
this, we had 50 years under the Supreme Court's uh, regime where they imposed, without a text history and structure of the Constitution, uh, abortion on demand. That changed the culture in this country. And the pro-life movement's done admirable work to, to shift the culture mm -hmm. in a more pro-life direction. I think technology and science has done that too, because you see, I, I remember seeing, uh, hearing the heartbeat for my, my firstborn very early on. I remember seeing the sonogram, very, very powerful. And so I think that that's helped. Uh, yeah, but there's more that, that will need to be done just on the cultural level for sure. And I, and I totally get that. But man, if people are, are putting points on the board for the cause of life, you know, we should thank them for doing that. Don't denigrate. How do you, how do you feel about um, the primaries suck? I hate them <laughs> because we're all one. And then for a year, we're all at each other's throat. And I've never seen ever in my lifetime a primary where the people are saying, please don't do this. Please don't snipe at each other. And yet surrogates. Oh, my gosh. Um, the, the just go. You, your team, Donald Trump team, they're just hacking each other to death. Is that good? Positive? Do you? How do you well, feel about no, that? Look, but I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I was running for reelection and he started launching attacks at me before the midterm. And then I win the election and then all this. Thing. So it's been incessant against me um, more than anybody else. I mean, he attacks me way more than he attacks Biden, not even close. Um, and a lot of the stuff is just demonstrably false. For example, he said Florida mandated COVID vaccines. That's a lie. That did not happen. Not only did we not do it, I called a special session of the mm -hmm. legislature, got him to pass legislation that protected every job in Florida including at private companies. I had corporate Republicans attacking me for that. They were saying, well, if a corporation wants you to force someone to take an MNRA shot, they can always, quote, just get another job. No, no, no. We didn't want you to have to choose between a job you need and a shot mm -hmm. you didn't want. And so we put those protections in. So that's something that where you say, and you see that time and time again. So we have an obligation to respond uh, in, in those instances and set the record straight. Sometimes things are so ridiculous yeah. that I just kind of laugh at it. And I think most people laugh at it. Um, but, but that's just what we've been done. When I go out and make my case, I'm making a positive case for myself. If I'm asked to respond to something that the former president says, I will do it. Um, and then I will provide my perspective. Um, on, on his record or not record, that's fair game. I mean, for example, we have a fundamental difference about how COVID should have been handled. He said he did a great job. He said he shouldn't have fired Fauci. He even gave Fauci an award his last day in office. Now, yeah, I think he should go on the debate stage and defend that, and we can have that discussion, but that's fair game. Uh, you know, I buck Fauci early on. I had Fauci coming to Florida attacking me. I had the media attacking me, all that stuff. I made myself very clear on that. So there's a difference there. There's a difference, too, on, you know, draining the swamp. You know, he promised it. Obviously, he didn't deliver it. Why didn't he deliver it? He will argue his way. I will say, well, you know what? You trusted some of the wrong people um, you know these appointments were not good appointments how are you gonna do better this next time on the appointments and you can contrast that with a guy like me who do I have as like Surgeon General I don't have a Fauci clone I've got dr. Joseph Latipo he's out there fighting all this stuff so the personnel is really significant you are your your numbers were going we looked at some charts before this interview and your numbers were going up and you were doing really competitive work then the first indictment yeah. happened and that galvanized a lot of people saying, you know what, this is wrong. 
And now you have a lot of I mean, I've I've never seen a primary this lopsided before. Are you do you think that that can change? How do you appeal well, the na- to those the, people? The national who- numbers are reflective of a lot of the media oxygen and the media coverage. I was getting a lot of media coverage when we won re-election and all that. Uh, then all of a sudden, the brag thing, I think part of it was sympathy, but I think part of it, it sucked the oxygen out of the room. And then there were these other cases. I mean, I got into the race at the end of May. We toured the early states. We were getting big crowds. People were enthusiastic. And then the next indictment came, and that totally wiped us off, and it was all that. Um, so that's just... So how do you appeal well, to Structurally, that's just an issue that you right. have to deal. So, but but on the ground in Iowa and stuff, we're down there. We're doing that. We're going to take the case uh, directly to the people. I mean, how how do you appeal? You say uh, the, the left is weaponizing government um, against people they don't like, not just against Donald Trump, also against. Catholics, against parents, against pro-life activists, on and on down the line, uh, what they've done. And so the question is, is how do you deal with that? How do you how do you actually fix it? Who's the best position to be able to do that? And I'm the best position to be able to do that because you've seen me do things like that in Florida. I'm the only elected official in America that's ever removed Soros-backed prosecutors from office. I've removed two in Florida, one in Tampa, one in Orlando. We're not just sitting there complaining, yep. we're doing it. I know where to come in how to deal with FBI, how to deal with DOJ, how to grant clemency for Donald Trump uh, and these other people. I will be in a position to do that very, very effectively. So if you want to end the weaponization, if you want to defang the administrative state, you know, I'm the best vehicle uh, to be able to get that done. One of the things the next president has to do is restore the american values the american work ethic the hope that we all had of a better tomorrow we have to start making things again here in america and the entrepreneurs that are currently doing it are taking huge risks because it's harder it's more expensive usually um and you have to train people to do it there's a certain level of pride that comes from knowing that you made it in america or that you're buying american so here's what I'd like you to do. Grip6 is this great company. They started just by making, I think, a belt. And then they went from a belt to wallets. Now they're into all kinds of different things, including socks. And uh, the socks, for example, I mean, it's even American wool. It's coming off American sheep and it's cleaned by American um, uh Uh, manufacturers who then weave it into socks that'll keep your feet warm in the winter and cool in the summer all an american business american made products with american labor i want you to go to grip6.com slash beck right now it's grip6.com slash beck let's talk about a couple of other things i want to talk about the unions um and uh, particularly the auto workers um But I also want to talk to you about Ukraine, because a lot of people say you're a little slippery on Ukraine. I don't think so. I mean, what what happened was, you know, I said, you know, it's um, it's something that, um, you know, no blank check. Uh, it's not a it's not a vital interest where we'd have ground troops under any circumstance. It's a secondary or tertiary interest. And the goal should be to bring it to a conclusion uh, so that we don't have wars breaking out in Europe or we don't have this going on for 50 years. Uh, and that's pretty much what I've been. People said, oh, he said Vladimir Putin's a bad guy. So that must be a change because wouldn't he if Putin's bad, don't you have to support a never ending 
blank check. No, there's a different question between Putin being a bad guy, which he is, Russia being the aggressor, which they are, but then our national interests and the risks of us getting enmeshed in this. I'm the only guy running that's actually put on the uniform. I was in Iraq at a time where you know things weren't great in places like Fallujah and Ramadi, and I'm very uh, conscious and sensitive to doing things where there's not a clear mission where we don't know what exactly we're trying to accomplish. Biden is still not articulated, he just says, as long as long as it takes. So as president, my goal would be to end it, not to escalate it. Uh, I think we can do that, but you're gonna have to use other levers that Biden has not been willing to do. For example, on the energy. He is basically funding both sides of the conflict. Correct. Our energy policy helps Russia, helps Iran. He gave six billion to Iran just now. Iran is helping Russia in the conflict. China is helping Russia in the conflict. And then people will sometimes say, well, um, you know, because the borderland between Russia and Ukraine, like why, why should America care? And so what the DC people will say is, well, China is watching this. They're, they're gonna see, and that may cause them what they do with Taiwan. I actually think what China wants, they wanna see a long protracted quagmire because mm -hmm. we're running low on ammunition in the West, stockpiles are diminishing. Uh, Russia, if they're in it, Russia will get weakened too, but China wants a weak Russia because that means Russia's a client state of China. Because yep. you know, China and Russia, they, they get along, but then they don't or whatever. This China would be, or, or Russia would be dependent on China in that situation. So I think it's in our interest for this to come to an end as expeditiously as possible. All that money. Well, they're paying salaries for Ukrainian bureaucrats, no accountability on any of this, paying pensions for Ukrainian bureaucrats. I mean, that is something that's totally unacceptable uh, to be doing. Joe Biden impeachment, 30 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I think that the corruption is real. I think they should be, should be inquiring and investigating. But, you know, he should be impeached for the border. He is derelict in the performance of his duties. He took an oath to ensure that the laws of this country were faithfully executed. And he has flagrantly violated his oath of office. That is definitely uh, an impeachable offense. And so I think on that dereliction of duty, that's the cleanest case that they should do. I do think they should be getting the information on the corruption. And I think there is real corruption with the Biden family. Is it a problem if Joe Biden didn't get any of the money, but they were selling the illusion uh, and his family was enriched, but he wasn't. Enriched. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, of course, there's a problem with that. And I, I doubt that it would be something that Biden would just be an innocent bystander to and would never do it. I mean, after all, who's the big guy that they're kicking up the money to? When you saw Poland, if you did see Poland said yesterday, we're done. We're not going to supply Ukraine anything because their farmers are being slaughtered by the grain prices because. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that just a political move on Poland's part until the prime minister is elected? Is that real? I don't know. I think I think it's I think it's 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 maybe too soon to tell. But, um, you know, Poland has been one that they have been willing to mobilize more power because they have history with Russia. So it's something that they're concerned uh, about uh, in terms of what's going on there. But I look at it just practically. And if we were here five years ago, you know, I would have said, and I think it may be still true, his ambitions, Vladimir Putin would be to make more incursions into Europe. But I think you and I probably would agree or would have thought that they had much more firepower than what they've shown to be able to have. 
they don't have the ability, I think, to make successful incursions into a NATO country. Now, we're bound by that, and I think that, but um, I just don't see that. I mean, I think that they've suffered a lot of losses uh, with, with the Ukraine situation, uh, but I do think how Zelensky is acting, um, I think, is ruffling feathers mm. in places like Poland. I mean, he's at the UN yeah. lecturing about climate change. I mean, like, you know, really? Is that really what you should right. be doing? Give me a break. Um, Article 5 of the NATO um, treaty um, some people say that just means we go to war. The Congress doesn't have to speak. Does Congress have to vote? No, I think Congress would have to. Um, I think that if that happened, I think they likely would do that. But what I would say on that is, what is the mission of NATO? I mean, I think NATO was was fine for the Cold War. It made sense. You know, now we're in a situation where a lot of those countries aren't uh, doing their fair share in terms of their defenses. And yet we're supposed to provide blanket security for that, uh, where our interests may diverge around the world. I think we all kind of want to just see a peaceful Europe for sure. But what about China? Some of those European countries are not eye to eye with us on what we should be doing on China. A lot of them want to appease China. So I think they need to be required to do two, two and a half percent of their GDP uh, to do that. And I think that should be the, the threshold where Article five would apply. If you're not willing to do your fair share, then you're basically a free rider and what we're just supposed to come to your rescue. So I think Trump was right to call them out on that. Uh, and I think we need to move the ball forward uh, going forward. As president, would you say to make peace? Ukraine's never going to be a part of NATO. Oh, yeah. I don't think I don't think NATO um, membership is in is in our interest. To me, all that would do was add more obligations to us. And so I think if you're adding more uh, obligations, then what are the benefits that, that we're getting um, in return? And in that case, you know, I don't know what the benefits necessarily right. would be. And I would note it. I'd note the people that are more interested in having Ukraine in NATO are also the ones that say Putin is going to attack into Correct. NATO. So it, it, clearly that, I mean, like if, if the NATO yeah. membership was to deter him, they're saying out of both sides of their mouth that, that it wouldn't even deter him to begin right. with. Um, with uh, Ukraine, would you say uh, no more, no more equipment, no more money, unless you sit down at a negotiating table and have a serious talk about peace. Oh, yeah. Anything that we would do would be us using leverage to bring it to a conclusion. So no blank check, nothing to where we're just doing. We want to bring it to a conclusion. And whether we use any of our resources to do it or not, hopefully you wouldn't have to do that. But if you do, it's going to be contingent on it bringing it to the conclusion that we want to see. We just we have to come to terms with if you believe I believe China is our top threat. Uh, I believe we need to deter their ambitions in the Indo-Pacific. We do not have the hard power we need in the Indo-Pacific right now. We're not going to be able to provide blanket security to Europe and do what we need to do to deter China. It's in our interest that that conversation in Europe come to a conclusion, European countries step up and do more, and that we take the leadership role uh, in being the bulwark against Chinese expansion in Asia. If they expanded into Taiwan, would you? Well, I, that, the whole policy would be to deny them the ability but if uh, they to, seek, did. to seek that. Well, I think if we got in, we would be able to to create a reality on the ground where they would where they would not do it. I mean, look, Taiwan's an ally. It's very strategically important. It's not just about semiconductors. It's about China taking that and launching that uh, to really dominating the region. That's going to be the most ec important economic region in the world, and how that would then impact uh, the United States of America if China surpasses us. 
us with economy and military strength, even without a war, that will impact every American family in one way or another. I mean, our, our way of life would change. So uh, I've only got a few minutes left, so I'm going to ask you one question, but maybe I can invite you to be on the radio show to talk about what the Treasury released yesterday on now it's no longer ESG. It's uh, I can't remember investment in sustainability partnerships. So they've taken ESG and just relabeled it and they're still going. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, but I, I want to ask you about the auto workers. I came from a split family on unions. Half my family was against unions. They were hardworking people. The other half worked at Boeing and they were very union. Um, and I've always seen unions as something that is. When when something's out of whack, you need to have the equal and opposite so you can conflict in all things so you can find that balance. Corporations sometimes just gobble and eat people. And for instance, Apple in China, then you have the unions that just go out of control. Um, Ford is dying. Ford is dying. They've $2 billion behind. They can't put out their trucks in time because they're building all these um, EVs. The people who are, you know, the workers, their job is gone if we do this EV thing. It's all gone. How do you, as president, how would you frame this fight? And what would how, what could you or should you do? Well, with the policy you just did, we will reverse. That is bad for both Ford and the, the auto workers. Correct. It's bad for both. They, people don't want those EVs in the numbers that the, the, the government's forcing them to do. You know, I used to drive a Ford F-150. I would not want that to be an EV. I need you right. to, And that's what consumers want. But I tried to buy an F-350 uh, uh, just this summer. It's six to 18 months out for delivery. Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, when Ford can't make their number one yeah. product, there's yeah. a so, problem. So we're gonna, we're gonna rip up Biden's EV mandates. We, we articulated that in our speech in Midland, and uh, we're gonna save the American automobile. That will save the American automobile industry where they will be able to be profitable again, and I have no, no uh, problem with them working out how they wanna work it out. But right now, government is causing these losses. I think it's only gonna mount, and uh, I want us to be able to succeed. These are good jobs. I mean, these are jobs that, that, that'll be very meaningful for families. Uh, why would you want the government coming in and mucking that up? Governor DeSantis, thank you. Thank you. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people. 